awesome. I mean, every bit of it. Worship. We had several words, and I want to just say this. We have a prophetic culture. So God is constantly speaking, and here's what I want you to know. If you get a word, and we don't share that word, it doesn't mean it wasn't God. Thank you. If you get a word, and we don't share it from the pulpit, it doesn't mean that it wasn't God, or that it's not right. Sometimes it just means timing. And uh, that's one of the things that we try to be really sensitive to, is what God is saying, and when he's saying it, who he's saying it to. Make sense? So I encourage you, write those things down uh, and keep them. And uh, it doesn't mean, you know, I think that we're going to share some that came today in just a little bit, but I just try to be sensitive to what the Lord is saying and who he's saying it to and when he's saying it. And uh, so thankful for Ben uh, and just handling that new transition that we're doing, which I really like, you know, I'll just be honest, I, I accepted it kicking and screaming. <laughs> I did. But I said, you know what, God, I want to do what you're, what you're saying, and I want to just see what you, how we can do this better to get everybody informed and keep everybody together as a family. And that's what it's about, that we can move forward as a family and not disconjointed and, and no one knowing. And, and, uh, and how about our kids' ministry? Come on, that's awesome. That's just awesome. See, they're not just being back there in a babysitting service. They're learning the Word of God. And I, I, I didn't turn around, but my eyes in the back of my head was looking when Stephen was talking about bringing somebody up here to tell the books of the Bible and stuff like that. You could feel the temperature in the room go up. That's why the air came on. He was like, oh, Lord Jesus, not me. Not me, Lord Jesus. I'll learn them, God. If you don't let him pick me, I'll learn them. I promise you. I'll learn them. I wonder how many of those vows were made in here today. Jesus, I'll learn them. Just don't, don't let him call me now. So, hallelujah. So, I, uh, I'm very, very thankful for what God is doing here and what I see him doing in the lives of our people. And it's, you know, a few weeks ago, um, I shared out of 2 Kings, and uh, I want to kind of start there, I think, and uh, cover a few things today. But one of the things that really excites me, last week, Jeff Snuffer, he's back with our, uh, our smaller kids today, did an amazing job last week uh, teaching, talking about teamwork and talking about uh, the family and everybody doing their part. Just an amazing job. And, you know, I was looking, it's been a couple, oh, this is the third week since I've been up here. And I go, God, that's awesome. You know, that's my heart. I've shared before, my heart is not to be the only voice you hear. My heart is to develop those that are in the body who, who God is doing something in and who God is doing something through and give them opportunity to share. Because as we as the body come together, the Bible says that every joint supplies. So everyone has a part. And when we're together and we're doing our part, the whole body moves forward and it moves forward in a healthy form. So that's my heart. That's my passion. It's not just to, to be up here because I have a lot to say. It's that we as a body can grow and move forward together. So that's exciting to me when I see that happening. So a couple of things. I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I spoke and... Um, out of 2 Kings, we looked at 2 Kings in chapter 4 uh, about three weeks ago, and we talked about Elijah and the widow's oil, and, uh, but I want to back up to 2 Kings chapter 1. 
This morning as I was in prayer, the, and I, I posted this on Facebook, this morning as I was in prayer, the Lord just really ministered to my heart out of 1 John, and he said, it says this, we love, I think it's 1 John 4, uh, 19, I have to go back and look, but uh, he says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he loved us. So love there is a choice. It's a choice that we have to love. It's a choice that we have to follow and to pursue love, not just uh, toward the Lord and receiving his love, but of giving out of that love to others. It's a choice. And um, as I was looking at that and looking back in, in 2 Kings chapter 1, the first like 16 verses, it deals with King uh, Azahiah, Ahaziah, anyway, <laughs> I had it earlier, and it just messed me up, but anyway, this king was in Samaria, he fell through the lattice, he fell, and then he sent to the false gods, he sent someone to the false gods to ask if he was going to make it or not, and the angel of the Lord came and spoke to Elijah, with the J, and told him, said, because he, he went looking for the gods uh, the, of idols and not to the God of Israel, tell him he's not going to make it. So this messenger that went out came right back to the king, and the king goes, dude, what's up? I just sent you out. Why are you back? He said, this guy came to me, and he told me that because you didn't ask the God of Israel, you asked the other gods, these foreign gods, you were going to ask of them. He said, you're going to die. He said, what? Who was it? He said, I don't know who he was. He said, what did he look like? He said he was hairy. This is how Elijah was known. He was hairy and he had a belt around his, his uh, waist. He said, that was Elijah. <laughs> that man had a reputation of being hairy and wearing a belt. <laughs> but when he spoke, but when he spoke, they knew he heard God. You know what's amazing? I look at, we're under a new covenant. The word of God says that he's given his angels charge over us. And Jesus even talked about their angels when he talked about the children. He said they're angels. Hebrews says that they're ministering spirits sent to minister to the sons of God, the children of God. And yet we many times can go our whole life as believers and never have an encounter with an angel. Should we ask for encounters with angels? Should we pursue angels? No. No, but we should be walking. Look, Elijah, it was normal for him. The angel came to him and said, go tell the king he's going to die. I mean, you look through Elijah's life. The angel was constantly coming, talking to Elijah, saying, here's what's going to happen, and, and here's what I want you to do. And Elijah, after he makes this uh, proclamation of judgment over this, <laughs> over this king, the king sends a captain and 50 men to go get him. He said, go get Elijah. Elijah's sitting on a hill, and this captain comes up and said, hey, the king wants you. Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, then let fire fall and kill all of you. Boom, all of them gone. So the king calls another captain. How would you like to be that captain? <laughs> that captain, he goes, and he said, hey, the king said, you got to come down. 102 men gone. King says, the third captain, the third one comes, hey, bro, look, we know who you are. Please come. 
I'm not telling you. I'm not here to force you. I know how that works, but would you come? (laughs) And the angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah, and he said, go with him. Do you see this interaction that Elijah's having with angels? We have something better. We have Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Those prophetic words I was talking about earlier, that's the spirit of the living God talking to us. He'll speak to our spirit. But that doesn't discount the reality. Hebrews says that angels are sent to minister to us. They're sent as ministers to the heirs of salvation. That's us. So what am I saying? I say we live many times below the standard that, God, that Jesus paid for us to live. And we'll see that in Luke chapter 9 in just a moment. I, uh, but here Elijah goes, so he hears from the angel, and he goes, and he talks to the king, and he said, here's why. And you know what? It happened. The Bible says this. It happened just as Elijah said. So we see that here in uh, 2 Kings, excuse me, chapter 1. Now, when this took place, who was now following him? Y'all are good. Y'all remember from three weeks ago. Elisha had, he had walked by Elisha and he threw his mantle over him and just kept walking. And Elisha said, hold up, I got to follow this man. And so Elisha left everything that was familiar to him. He went, he talked to Elijah and he said, look, I'll come. He said, but let me tell my dad goodbye. And Elijah said, what I got to do with that? Very compassionate, right? But Elijah just says, what do I have to do with that? So he said, come on back. So he took what he was working with. He killed the oxen. He broke up the, uh, the yoke, made a fire and sacrificed. They had worship for the Lord. And then Elisha left and followed Elijah. So Elisha saw all of this that was going on. And this is the same Elisha that uh, we saw that the widow came to him and said, you know, I don't have anything. He said, what do you have at home? She said, I've got nothing. He said, but. I've got nothing but. You know what? I'm convinced our butts get in the way a lot. Amen. God, I would. God, I know your word. It get in the way, doesn't it? So Elisha, he, he got his butt out of the way and he followed him. But here in 2 Kings, we see Elijah. Now, who was Elijah? Elijah was a prophet that God sent to Israel uh, to because they were in sin. They had walked away from God. They had welcomed in idols. So Elijah, we see Elijah as a, a prophet of judgment. It even says that when John the Baptist came, he came in the spirit of Elijah. Why? What was John saying? Repent. What was he saying? Turn. You need to turn. You are not following God. You need to repent. You need to turn. That's why John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, not Elisha. Now, I want to say something. I believe that Elijah had to precede Elisha just like John the Baptist had to precede Jesus. Because Elijah came pushing the law. You're not doing this, you're not doing this, and this is what the judgment is because you're not doing this. Elisha, he came, did twice as many miracles, and his was always mercy and compassion. Now, here's what happens. Now, we're going to jump over to Luke. This is what was hard on me, because Luke chapter 9, all of it is awesome. Awesome. It's so, so good. But as I was looking at this, and I was reading through it, the Lord took me right back to 2 Kings chapter 1, and Elisha. Now, where did I tell you that the king was? 
He fell through the lattice, but what town was he in? Samaria. Samaria. He was in Samaria. So in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus... So much going on. I'm just going to go through some of the highlights of what's going on. We start out with, uh, in the first part of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sending out the 12. And he said, <clears throat> in verse 6, it says, So they departed went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus sends out the 12. He said, I want you to go out and do what you've seen me do. That is the importance of family. That's the importance of community. I'm going to tell you this. We've seen a shift in our church, and it's a good shift. We've seen the whole culture of our church change. You know why? Because we as a church are doing life together now. For years, I preached about community. We need to be together. We need to have community. We need to do life outside of Sunday. We don't have Wednesday night services. Why? Because we do small groups. Why? Because this right here is what most services look like in a church, a talking head and a lot of spectators. But in small groups, there's not just a talking head. We're in a room where everybody has an opportunity to share. Everyone has an opportunity. Like these two girls, I mean, kudos to those two girls who stood up here in front of the church. And I know we say big church, little church. They're the church. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. And thank God it's healthy. That they stood up in the front. But the most, for the average, that's not the norm. That people go, you know what, I had never done that, so I'm just going to stand up in front of a hundred and some people I don't know and say something I could miss. Yeah, here's the line. (laughs) It doesn't happen. But when we're in a group where we have an opportunity to first be loved and then second say, you know what, in this group I know that I'm doing life with these people, so it's not, they're not here to judge me, they're here to encourage me. And they know that I'm not perfect, that I can miss it. So life there happens. Jesus was the first one to have a small group. And inside of his small group, he had a smaller group. So I'll say this. And this isn't directed at anyone. Hear my heart. But it's my job as pastor that, that, I, that it's easy to look at a small group and say it's a click. <laughs> Don't suck the air out the room. But here's what it is. Jesus had 12. And you know what? He didn't spend any time with his 12 telling the masses that followed him, oh, don't be offended that these are closer to me. Thank you, Katie. And he didn't spend any time inside of the 12 saying, don't be offended at the three because I carry them away with me. He didn't even address it. That's teachable right there. He didn't even address it. Guys, please don't be upset because I'm taking Peter and James and John up the hill. He didn't do that. He said, Peter, James, John, let's go. They went. The, the other just said, they'll be back. <laughs> That'd be bad. Wasn't that cool how that guy, his arm just scratched right out? Wasn't that cool that he stopped a funeral and raised a dead kid? That's what's up right there. But inside of small groups, community happens. 
People get close. People grow together. And that changes. That's what's changed the atmosphere of this church. It's not just that we have great worship or great teaching or any of that. It's that we started acting like Jesus. That's awesome. That is awesome. And we start seeing the fruit of that. When we, in John 14, 12, he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Right? All that's right here in Luke chapter 9. <laughs> so Jesus sends out the 12. They go out and they do these amazing miracles. They come back and... Uh, and we see the feeding of the 5,000. So this puts into perspective, you know, we just hear the story of the feeding of the 5,000. They go, where'd all these people come from? You know, they weren't in this big amphitheater. They didn't advertise it. You know how Jesus got the word out? He sent out people to do the work of the ministry. As he sent out people to do the work of the ministry, they went out, they, they saw blind eyes open, uh, deaf ears open and stuff like that. People said, where did you get this, Jesus. We're preaching Jesus, the good news, that he's not here to condemn you. He's here to set you free. That's what he's here to do. And people say, you know what they say? When you go to people and you don't just tell them that Jesus loves them, you demonstrate that Jesus loves them with no strings attached, not to get them here or to get them anywhere, just to love on them. You know what they say? I got to have some of that. That's different than anything I've ever seen. That's alive. It's not you have to be in this location to get it. It's, it's so big in me, it goes wherever I go. It's not it, it's a he. It's Holy Spirit. So they come back, and when they come back, I mean, they went out, and it says that later on we see, he said, man, we, we cast out devils. Devils had to listen to us. And all these things took place. And so there's 5,000 people come. I love John's rendition of it. I shared it not too long ago. Jesus looks at Philip, and he said, how are we going to feed these people? And in John chapter 6, he said he asked Philip that to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. That's cool. Unless you're Philip. <laughs> Philip, what are we going to do? We, I don't know. I don't even think we can buy enough food to feed all these people, Jesus. I don't know. But what had Philip been doing? See, we've got to put it in perspective. What had Philip been doing? He had been out laying hands on people. They'd been getting healed. They raised the dead. They cast out devils. They saw that there was nothing that was impossible when they went out, when Jesus, doing what Jesus told them to do. And then Jesus says, what are we going to do? And Philip was wise enough to go, I'm clueless. I don't know. I just, I just don't know. He said, here's what we're going to do. Have them sit down in groups of 50. Have them sit down in groups of 50. So they sat them down in groups of 50, and uh, I got a good time. Hold on. He sat them down in groups of 50, and this is in John, uh, I mean Luke 9, verse 10. He told them, you give them something to eat, and let me see, is it this one or is it in John where he says he sent them down to 50, 5,000? 14? Yeah. Okay. Now think a moment. I told you, Elijah can't bring in judgment. Elisha can't bring in grace and mercy. When Elijah was on the mountain and the king sent people to Elijah, how many people did they send? 50. They sent 50. And uh, the word 50, the number 50 in uh, 
numerology, which is just a big word for saying that, that in the Bible, numbers have significance. In, in the Hebrew, they use their alphabet as numbers, and every alphabet also has a picture associated, a meaning for that one letter. Are you tracking with me? So the numbers have meaning, and um, the number five is the number of grace, and the number two is the number of division, or to divide. The number 50 is the number of deliverance, or healing, or prosperity. That's the number. So why is that significant? Jesus set them down. These, now, who, did, who, was, who was he working with? Who was his ministry team? The 12. The 12 of the ministry team. So Jesus said, you have everybody sit down at 50. What's the number of 50? Deliverance, healing, provision. Have them sit down in groups of 50. Now, what do we have? We've got five loaves and two fish. Five is the number of grace. Two is the number of division. So what did Jesus say we're going to do? Bring me the bread and the fish, and I'll bless it. And I've said this before, and here's where we miss it. Jesus blessed the bread and he blessed the fish and then he gave it, he broke it then and gave it to them and then they went out and ministered to the multitudes. They did not come back every time their bucket got empty and said, Jesus, break me some more off. That's not what happened. Jesus blessed it and sent them out to minister so the miracle was taking place, the division was taking place in the hands of the 12. The division was every time they would reach in to give somebody some bread and some fish, there was more. This is awesome. This is what's up right here. So the division took place at their hands. And I, as I was studying this, the Lord said, I'm the only one that can divide to multiply. I took it apart. I broke it down so that I could bring deliverance. So there's, there's, I'm building so he feeds the 5,000. He has them sit down in 50. Elijah was a man. He said when the 50 came to him, he killed them. Jesus sat the 50 down. He fed them. He delivered them. So the next thing we see, uh, Jesus says, who do y'all say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. He said, that's right, Peter. And upon this confession that I'm the Christ, I'll build my church. I will build my church. So we see that. Then we see in verse 27, uh, Jesus goes up on the mountain. He's transfigured. I know I'm, I'm going fast. <clears throat> he, he's transfigured. Then we get to uh, 43. He predicts his death. Verse 46. Here's where I want to get. Then a dispute arose among them to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and sat him by him. Isn't that beautiful? You know what I think is so amazing about God? Ben and I didn't converse about the transition, about what God had put in his heart. We didn't, we didn't talk about that. And it, he just talked about us doing what? Humbling ourselves like a? That's just a coincidence. No, that's the Holy Ghost. That's what that is. It was the Holy Spirit and just setting us up for the beauty of what he wanted to share from his word. And Jesus said, the 12 are asking, I wonder who's the greatest? Who's Who's his favorite? You know there was one there. Come on, these were men. Let's don't make them super spiritual. They floated over the ground. They were having this conversation. Who's the greatest? You know there was one that said, it's got to be Peter, James, or John. That's who he spends the most time with. It's got to be one of them. And then John, 
John said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. <laughs> yeah, just wait till Jesus ain't around, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to give you the five-fold ministry. <laughs> they were real people, right? They were having this conversation about who's the greatest. So there was a reality going around on the inside of their hearts about who Jesus loves the most. You know what Jesus did? He didn't, isn't it beautiful how he doesn't even entertain that stuff? He doesn't even entertain it. He picks up a kid and he says this, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. So what is he saying? The one that can come like a child, you're great. It doesn't matter. You don't, we don't have rank and file. It's if you'll come to me as a child, you can be great. He didn't say this is the greatest and then that one and then that one. He said, no, listen, it's not just one or two that can be great. You know what I've seen? The ones that we look at and say, man, they're great and they're doing great things for God are just the ones who've humbled themselves like a kid and say, God, I'll selflessly serve you. I'll do it if it looks embarrassing. Isn't that amazing about kids? <clears throat> they haven't been taught shame. <laughs> There's too much to say. They, so they will shamelessly love on you, shamelessly trust you. So they want to know who's the greatest. Jesus said, if you receive me like one of these kids, you receive my father. And if you'll do that, you are great. That's pretty cool for Jesus to say you are great. You know what? That, that totally diffused the situation because then it wasn't about who did the most miracles, who had walked the longest with him, who brought in the most water. It was about who just comes like a child and say, I'm not here with an agenda. I just want to love you. I need you in my life. I've got to have you. Nothing else satisfies, only you, Jesus. He said, that person, they're great. So here's my text. All that was introduction. No, not yet. Verse 49. Now Jesus, now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade them because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him for he who is not against us is on our side. Wow. Here's what you need to understand. The river, not the only one pursuing Jesus. We're not the only ones. Is God doing some amazing stuff here? Absolutely. But we're not the only ones. Jesus, they looked and John said, this guy right here hadn't been walking with us, Jesus, so I told him to shut up. Who is this? John, the disciple of what? Who Jesus loved. You know who said, that's only written in John's gospel. <laughs> when, when Jesus resurrected and they ran to the tomb, it says Peter left first, but the disciple whom Jesus loved outran him. And he went in first. That's not arrogance. That's confidence. That's boldness. He knew who he was because of what Jesus had done. He wasn't saying Jesus loves me most. He said, I'm the one that knows that Jesus loves me. That's so good. 
That's so good. And you, you can look, you, you know, I had a pastor who was like a father to me. And we were in church, and I'm going to just tell you, hey, this is who I am. If you don't know, this is who I am. If there's somebody with an anointing, I want to be around them. If I go to a meeting, I'm going to be on the front row. I'm not going to sit in the back. I'm going to be on the front row. And it gets all y'all people in the back. I love you. It ain't it, but it, this is who I am. I'm going to be there. I'm going to lather up on them. I'm going to get up next to them. I'm going to know them. And if they've got something I want, I want to know it. I want, to, I want them to speak into me. So this pastor, he loved me like a son, and he spoke into me. <clears throat> and uh, I won't ever forget, it caused no great, no small stir in the church because we had only been in the church a couple of years, if it had even been that long, months to a year. And I mean, if he went somewhere, I went with him. I would take time out of my day just to go pray with him and things like that. And he had a bunch of preacher boys in the church that had grown up in the church, had been there their whole lives, and you know their families had been there their whole lives, and there was no small stir among them. And they were you know, upset because I was spending so much time with him. He stood up in the pulpit, and he said this. He said, I want y'all to know something. I love all of y'all equally. If you see any difference in me and anybody else in this congregation, it's because they've chosen to love me as much as I love them. Well, Let's listen to the word. <laughs> I was like, come on, pastor. <laughs> but I just sit there, probably about three shades of red, with my head looking at my, oh, Jesus. They know he's talking about me. <laughs> this is going to help a lot. He did, you know what? He never addressed it again. He just said it straight. It, John just said it straight. I know that I'm loved by him. And I want to be with him. I want to pursue him. But even John was human. And he said, we told him not to. He said, you don't forbid anybody. If they're doing it in my name, they may not be with us, but they're following us. That's a good word. Verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time come for him to receive them uh, up, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face. As they went, <clears throat> they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. All right, remind me, I'm in verse 53. Samaria. Y'all remember it wasn't too long ago that we, we read that where Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Why? He had an appointment with a woman at a well. He went 20-some miles out of his way. He went southwest to go north. That's not the way you do it. <laughs> I think I say it. He went out of his way. Yeah, I am too. My grandma lived with us for me growing up. She used to tell my dad, you go around your elbow to get to your thumb. She gave my dad a hard time. But his disciples could have said the same thing about him. Why are you going southwest to go north? He said, I have to go through Samaria. So he went into Samaria. You remember what happened? He goes to this woman. He prophetically ministers to her. She accepts him as Savior, goes into town. She immediately becomes an evangelist. This is a woman that nobody wants to talk to, probably what they called a prostitute or uh, other unmentionable names. Because Jesus revealed that she was with the uh, fifth and he wasn't hers. But this woman goes in and says, come meet a man. What does she do? You got to come meet this man. 
Samaria, right? And it said the town received him. Not because of what she said, but they came and heard for themselves. Where were they? Samaria. That's where this was happening. But in this incident, right here in verse 52, Jesus sends his people ahead, and he said, just make preparations for us. We're on the way to Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans, here's what I want you to know. You can encounter God. You can have God move in your life, and you can still be offended. Wow. He's meddling today. Because they had, had radically encountered Jesus, but this time Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. The history is Samaria and the Jews in Jerusalem, they hated each other. It was just a, a, a great tension. So when they heard that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, the same Jesus that had healed their sick, the same Jesus that they had accepted as Savior and Lord, they said, no, we don't have any room for him. You with me? Same Samaria, not a different one, same Samaria. So the disciples, so that gives us some context for what happens next, okay? Because we can just read uh, Luke chapter 9 and see what they're saying and go, yeah, I'm with you, John. This is John, the gospel of grace. John, the man who understood grace greater than any other gospel writer. His very name means grace. This is that John. Let's look what he says. Verse 53, but they did not receive, uh, receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Why was he going to Jerusalem? To die? That's why his face was set to Jerusalem. He knew that he, it was time for him to go to make his way to Jerusalem to pay for the sins of the people. And because he didn't, wasn't there to hang out in Samaria like he had done before, they said, no, we don't have any room for him. And look what, uh, verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Why did they randomly pull that out of the air? They didn't. They were in Samaria. They were in Samaria where they knew growing up, they had heard the word that it was in Samaria where Elijah called down fire and consumed those that were coming to get him. And they were saying, these have rejected you, Jesus, so let's do the same thing they did. And what did he say? He turned and kissed them on the cheek. Oh, it says he rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. (laughs) And Jesus, beautiful. He didn't condemn or rebuke those who rejected him. He didn't even acknowledge it. He rebuked the ones who loved him and followed him because he wanted them to grow. You can't do anything about the people who don't like you or the people who talk bad about you. You spend your time focused on them, you know what you do? You're you're distracted. But you can pour into the ones that you love and that love you. And Jesus looked to him, he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy, I came to give life. In the same town that they had seen, was Elijah obeying God? We didn't, God, the angel didn't tell Elijah to call down fire. 
But obviously, he obeyed God when he said yes to the angel, when he said, now go with this third group, go with them, don't, don't kill him, go with them. So it wasn't that Elijah was in rebellion just killing people because he felt like it. No, he was obeying God, but God said, you don't understand, that was a different covenant, a different time. I've come for something else. People, I want you to know, he's come for something else. He's come that they will know us by our love. They'll know us by our love because we choose to love. When they, when they talk about us or turn their back on us, we love. Because look at verse 57. Verse 57 says this. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to, Lord, said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Most scholars believe that his father wasn't dead. He was just aging. So what does that mean? He didn't say, my dad just died. I need to put him in the grave. And Jesus said, nope, you can't do that. He was saying, let me go hang out with Pops until he dies, and then I'll find you. And Jesus, and Jesus said, nope. He said, he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bind, uh, bid them farewell who are of my house. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's he referencing? Nothing at all, just speaking into the air and just talking about it. No, what did Elisha do when he followed Elijah? What was Jesus doing? He was building on this thing that the covenants have changed. Elisha, he went back and told his dad, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving to follow him. And I'm breaking up everything that's familiar to me and I'm sacrificing it to him because I'm giving my all to him. These people weren't saying that. They were trying to sound religious. We sang something about getting rid of religion today. I don't know what it was, but we sang something about it. It was good. They were being religious. Who were they quoting now? Elisha. Do you see me? Are you with me? Are you tracking me? I don't want to leave you. I want you to go with me. They were looking at Elisha and said, well, the thing with Elijah didn't work. Let's try out Elisha. And what Jesus was saying is, look, you just set your eyes on me and you follow me. Then we get to chapter 10. And somebody mess with my watch. No, I'm just kidding. Chapter 10, and I'll close with this. In chapter 10, it says, verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So what was Jesus's uh, form of advertising, if you will? He didn't send flyers. You know what he did? He sent people anointed with his spirit to go ahead of him to do the work of ministry. See, he said, I'm coming up here, so I'm going to send 70 up there to go do ministry ahead of me. That's why multitudes followed him, not because Jesus was the only one doing it, but he was commissioning them. So he started, we saw in, in, verse, in chapter 9, he started with just sending out the 12. Then he, we saw the events of that, and now in chapter 10, he sends out 70. And, and here's what's so beautiful, and I'll, I'll stop. In sending out the 70, he told him this. He said, don't carry anything with you. When you go to a home, declare peace. And if your peace stays on the home, you stay there. And don't, don't be shopping around. You stay there and eat what they put before you and uh, let them provide for you. You know what he was teaching the 70s? They went out, the same thing he'd been teaching the 12, community. 
You go in, don't go out of your own sufficiency. You go and you connect with the people in the community. And as you connect with them, your peace will rest on them and you'll know that's where you're supposed to be. Is that amazing how they weren't led by uh, Trivago? or Hotels.com, or any of that. They were led by the Spirit of God. He said, when you go, you declare, if your peace rests on that place, you stay with them, and they'll provide for you. Who was Jesus teaching? All of them. The homes that they came into. How many of you think their homes were blessed? I think if you study the life of Jesus, everything he touched was blessed. So he was teaching them that we don't do this thing solo. So they stayed there and they ministered and the 70 came back and they talked about everything that had happened and they're like, we did this and we did that and this is awesome and all of this and Jesus said, that's all good but what's most important is that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you have relationship with me. That's the gospel. The gospel is this, that we can have relationship with God. And we demonstrate that gospel through praying for people, giving them a prophetic word, whatever. We do that not to to be seen, but to show him. And as we do that, we are fulfilling what he did when he sent out the 70. He said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom. Go demonstrate it. So I'm going to close with this testimony. No more scriptures. Just call it whatever closing you want. Friday... I, uh, I fell and didn't realize I had jammed my wrist until about two hours later. And about two hours later, this wrist, I could move from about right here to right there, and it, it felt like uh, I was going to pass out, <laughs> just to be honest. That's what it felt like in, in my body. Uh, it, felt, it hurt so bad, I felt like I had a fever. It hurt so bad, I was just shaking internally. You ever hurt yourself so bad that inside you're just shaking like this, and you're just like, I don't know what this is. It's not good. It, it was like, it would, it would move from like right here to right here, and that was still in pain. To, to by five o'clock, it, it was like my heart was beating in it. It was just throbbing. And uh, <clears throat> my wife was home, and, and my mom was there and I said, look, my wrist, at first I thought it was just like a word for somebody. You know, sometimes I'll get a little pain. I go, that might be a word for somebody. And it it didn't go away. It got worse. So we prayed over it and spoke to it and uh, it still hurt. So we went through the evening and I went to visit someone in the hospital. As I was on the way to the hospital, I'm like, Jesus, I remember when I tore this bicep and messed this arm up that I just began to worship you and declare your word over my arm. And when I did, it, the pain left. So I just, on the way to the hospital, I'm, Jesus, I thank you that you paid for this, whatever it is. I mean, it, it hurt to touch it. It was a little swollen right around here. I didn't know if I had broken a bone. I didn't know what it was. All those things was running through my head. But here's what I know. The greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Here's what I knew, that his word is, the, he's the same yesterday, day, and forever. So as I was riding to the hospital, I just began to declare the word over my wrist. And when I got out of the hospital, I realized that my mobility went from here to here to like from here to here. And it wasn't throbbing anymore. If I pushed it too far, it would hurt. And I just began to worship the Lord and praise the Lord. And I woke up yesterday morning, and it was like this. It was like this. No pain. No pain. (laughs) Friday... Friday, I couldn't put my hand in my pocket like this. If I went to put my hand in my pocket, my eyes would cross and my knees would get weak. 
That's how bad it hurt. And it was gone, not just like that, but as I stood on the word and said, God, this is who you are, and this is what you said. When the 70 went out, they didn't go out, they didn't go out and say, you know, he chose me, and he said, I'm special. No, they went out saying, here's who he said we are, and here's what he said we can do, so we're going to do it. We believe him, and we're going to do it. In the face of all the lies and all the contradictions of the enemy, they just went out, and they did it. And you know what? He worked with them, and there were signs, wonders, and miracles that took place. He desires to do the same thing for us. So let's stand.